0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Generation Y ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You know,
1: that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, and social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store, for accepting payments to manage inventory. It has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one true source. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash GenY, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash GenY to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Y. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Audible. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre. You got bestsellers, new releases, and mysteries and thrillers. I'm currently listening to A Rip in Heaven by Janine Cummings. It's a true story that happened in April 1991 about some teenagers, family members that were violently attacked. Two would perish and the one surviving one would end up being accused of the crime. But the reality of what happened is much worse. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500-500. That's audible.com slash GWP or text GWP to 500, 500. GWP to 500, 500. From Wondery.
0: How are you doing tonight, Aaron? I'm doing just fine, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. Like many of you, we are shut in our houses, so
1: we are recording remotely, but still recording. And we wanted to send a quick message out expressing our gratitude to all of our supporters and listeners, and um, we wanted to give a shout out to all those on the front lines working against the COVID-19 virus, anyone that works in the food industry, medical industry, anything where you have to continue to work. We wanted to give you a big shout out. So thank you very much for all your efforts and everything you're doing. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, DoorDash. If you're looking to get more from delivery, you can get it with DashPass by DoorDash. Plus, you can get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. DashPass is only $9.99 a month. You get special access to exclusive promotions, member-only menu items, and with DashPass you get $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders. I use it all the time. Sometimes I just can't leave the house. I have too much going on. I got to edit and uh, I'll get my food delivered today. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and more. Sign up for DashPass today. Only on DoorDash. That's 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Use code GENY24. That code again, GENY24. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom takes into account dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs to build a plan that works for you. Everyone's journey is different. So, your daily lessons are personalized to you and your goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your free trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
1: So to recap, we're cutting
0: the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So tonight's case takes place in Quickman, Texas. December 11th, 2007. A mother and son are murdered. But the question is... Is it a murder-suicide, or is it a double homicide?
0: And that's where we come in and check out the evidence, right, Aaron? Definitely. This is the kind of case where it really pays to read everything, follow along, because I think it's any more these days. If there's someone who is arrested or convicted of a crime, they have supporters, and then they have people who believe that they're responsible. So this is a case that uh, you really want to pay close attention to.
1: So with that, what are we talking about tonight?
0: Tonight, we're talking about the deaths of Nicole Payne and her son, Austin Taylor Wages, who we'll probably just call Taylor throughout this episode.
1: Now, Nicole was 35 years old at the time of her death. She was a mother of four. Uh, They had lived in Quitman uh, about eight months And she managed Wings of Love, which uh, released doves at special events like weddings or funerals. So essentially, you would hire her, and she would bring the, the birds in, and then you could do a photo opportunity to have these white doves flying overhead.
0: It's a powerful image, though, too. We always say, how can we really remember this moment? And it's one of those things where, yes, if it's a wedding or a funeral, then when these doves are released, everyone watches. And so it's very captivating. Pretty special business, I think. She was the mother of
1: Taylor, and she had adopted uh, another son named Danny and had two other kids with Jason
0: named Jackson and Remington. Jason Payne is someone who came from Louisiana. When he met Nicole originally, they hit it off. And you know, you hear that all the time, but they hit it off so much that they were I believe they were already married before anyone really knew they were getting married. And so it was sort of a whirlwind romance of just weeks. According to Nicole, he very much became a father to Taylor and Danny. Danny Ashworth is his name. He would take them hunting or fishing, uh, teach them gun safety, those kinds of things. At some point, he got in a really bad car accident. There was a settlement. Now, as you know, when there's a settlement, lawyers' fees come in and take out a bunch of that money. But in the end, I think they had, of the $900,000, they had about $330,000. That's a good chunk of change. So they were able to get a new home, they paid off their vehicles, and he got a boat. Things were looking pretty good. Nicole, of course, was trying to make the place theirs, decorating and stuff. I think they really did appreciate the land because they had a lot of property for the kids to play on. Um, After all, they had four of them. They had two teenagers and then two younger ones. Uh, Jackson was five and his sister Remington was two. So let's go to the
1: events of that morning, uh, what time are they waking
0: up? What, what happens here? Well, according to Jason, he said he woke up about seven in the morning and got dressed and then went and got his five-year-old Jackson to get him ready for school. He said at that point, Taylor was already awake. Jason then took his younger kids in the car because he wanted to take uh, Jackson to school. Unfortunately, he said Taylor didn't want to come, so he remained back at the house. So he took his son to school, and then he brought his daughter back. He said when he got home, he remembered that the birds um, for Wings of Love, uh, Nicole's business, were out of food. So he said he turned the vehicle around so he could go back to town and get some food. But halfway there, he said his daughter then wanted to go to the park. And, you know, it's not like he has anywhere to be that day. And he thinks, well, I can get food later. So he thought about going to the park. but Then he decided, you know, we can just go back to our house. We have plenty of property there. Heck, we could go to the creek and throw acorns. So they went and did that. But then he went inside to go ask Nicole about bird food. But when he went into the home, that's when he discovered that something terrible had happened.
1: So it's around 9 a.m., that he gets back and he calls 911, tells them that his wife and son have been shot. Now, he stays on the line and talks to the dispatcher and they send out investigators and the police, but this is where things get a little different because they find his wife's been shot in her bedroom and then they find his stepson in his bedroom but his bedroom's in like a I guess it's in the garage. It's they kind of finished off a portion of the garage and that's where he sleeps. And they found his body with a lever action rifle between his legs. Both of them have been shot to the head. So EMTs come out obviously they're dead, but when the EMTs get there, they notice that Nicole is very warm to the touch, almost as if she was just shot. Meanwhile, Taylor is cold. So right off the bat, they're thinking he was the first to die and she was the second, but the gun is with him. So
0: it doesn't compute with at least the EMTs. Noel Martin was a crime scene investigator for the county sheriff's office. He had a different opinion. You know, we could talk about the different reasons for that. Um, You have your EMTs who have their own experience. You have crime scene investigators and they have their experience, but no temperature was taken of either victim. So I think that needs to factor in here. And even though some said that there were already signs of rigor mortis on Taylor, that wasn't confirmed. What you got to realize is Nicole, the mother,
1: is in a climate-controlled bedroom that's warm, and Taylor is in a non-insulated bedroom in a garage. And as we said, this is December, so it's cold out. This could have a factor on how cold or warm they feel to the touch. And No temperature was taken and they didn't test for rigor mortis yet. So it's hard to distinguish what's going on here.
0: So that was around 9 a.m. on December 11th, 2007, when this 911 call went in from Jason Payne. And of course, investigators want to talk to Jason. They want to ask him what he thinks happened. And Justin, you probably watched some of his interview, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the feeling I got was he just didn't know. He tried to tell them about some of the things that had been going on in the house over the last, you know, the prior day. And that morning, he had said that Taylor had been complaining about not having a cell phone and seemed to be very upset about it. When they asked him, do you think Taylor could have done this, could have shot your wife and then shot himself? uh, Jason said he just didn't know. Which I get that. It's his... Stepson. He's
1: been raising him, and you can't imagine that this would happen
0: in your own household. He went on to tell them about how Taylor refused to go in the car with them that morning when he was taking the younger kids uh, so he could drop Jackson off at school. It seemed like there must have been something going on there, and he didn't have anything really beyond that to say. Now, it was weird that when he was on the 911 call, he had said, that his wife and his stepson were shot. He also said that he never actually went up and touched them or felt for a pulse or any of that. And as you know, it can be very questionable if there isn't a gun right there on whether you would know whether someone was shot or not. I just assume that
1: if you love your wife and you find her in a puddle of blood, you would go up and hold her try to come for her, try to find out what's going on. Or maybe you think, hey, I don't want to leave any evidence. I'm just going to call 911. There's so many different reactions here. So it's hard to
0: try to assume what his thought process was. So he was also asked if um, he could remember anything uh, that was out of the ordinary when he entered the house. He just knew that his wife and his son were shot. That was essentially it. He, was, he had called for help. But uh, they did record this interview with him, and they asked him about the status of his marriage. And he said it was a great marriage, no marital problems. He said they did have fights over what he called little stuff. Financially, he said, not a problem because I received more than $300,000 from a personal injury settlement. It turns out in the end, of course, that there is a lot more to that story. But all in all, when they're talking to him, I think this is where he starts to get himself in a little bit of trouble because one, he's acting like he doesn't know anything. And then number two, he's saying that his marriage was just fine. There were no problems. Well, and they have to take his word for it for now, but
1: any statements you're making, they're going to come back and investigate vet, and see if you're telling the truth Oh, yeah. That's where uh, he might have been getting himself into some trouble. But going back to the scene, they didn't find any signs of struggle in the house. They actually found a shell casing in Taylor's room, which came from the rifle that was resting between his legs. Uh, And they found clothes in the dryer that were still warm. So somebody had just done laundry and put clothes on the dryer. I don't know. I mean, people do laundry in the morning. (laughs) Uh, And then they check on Payne's truck. And in his truck is where they found a washcloth with what appeared to be fresh blood on it. And at that point, they're thinking, why would you have a rag in your car or your truck that has blood on it if you were away from the home when this all went down and you called us immediately. You didn't go to the bodies. You didn't do anything. So why is there blood on this washcloth in your truck? That's a hard one to uh, explain for him. And then uh, they did an expanded search outside of the property and went out into the wooded area and found two large holes dug. Uh, they were probably dug with uh, either a backhoe or something, and let's just say they appeared to be graves. <laughs> That's, you know, it's like either A, you're digging up tree roots or, or stumps, or you're digging two holes for what? And this doesn't look good for anyone on the day of uh, a murder-suicide or a double homicide.
0: Well, let's get back to what they found in the truck, though. They found a washcloth? Yeah, with blood on it. This is going to be a big deal in this case. When they found this washcloth, everyone who saw it stated that it was bright red fresh blood. A quick Google search about this case,
1: I found a photo of that washcloth. And in that photo, it appears to be bright red blood. So I saw it with my
0: own eyes. The couple did have life insurance, but apparently after they had started that process, some things were discovered like Jason's smoking and some other things, and they readjusted their policies so they were actually smaller than they had hoped. So what they had was a $100,000 life insurance policy on Nicole with $10,000 riders for the children, and the primary beneficiary was Jason Payne.
1: Now, just because you have a life insurance policy on your spouse does not mean that you murdered them, but this is an ongoing theme we see in every case. It's where the spouse is murdered or dies
0: some tragic death, and then, well, what was the life insurance policy, and who's cashing it? I do want to say, because insurance always seems to be a factor here, that after his wife and stepson found dead... His insurance agent submitted a claim on his own, and when Jason was asked to give a recorded statement on their deaths, Jason refused, so he was unable to collect the money.
1: Interesting turn of events.
0: Yeah, so often it seems like there's a payout, but um, here, he didn't collect the money. So let's go further into the forensics, Justin, because the police, at least most of them, aside from one of their crime scene investigators, most of them believe that Jason has something to do with these murders. That's how they're terming it. So there's already one side saying it was a murder-suicide, but then most of the authorities are saying this was a double homicide. Yeah. They tested for gunshot residue, GSR. They tested Taylor. They tested Nicole, and they tested Jason.
1: Now, Jason didn't have a spot on him, right? Nothing. Meanwhile, Taylor, he had gunshot
0: residue on him. They did find a single particle of GSR on the back of Taylor's right hand. Okay. Which that could
1: dictate that he pulled the trigger himself and got gunshot residue on his hand, or... You can just get gunshot residue on your hand if somebody's pointing a barrel at you and uh, and you put your hand
0: up and the gun goes off. I think they would have expected to find more than a single speck. We can get into that as we go on. Now, the medical examiner, Dr. Keith Pinkard, said that Nicole's cause of death was a gunshot wound to the back of her head. When they compared this wound to the rifle found with Austin it seemed to be a good match. In other words, this .30-30 rifle that was found between his legs was the weapon that killed Nicole. Now, this .30-30 rifle is a lever
1: action, so you have to pull that lever down, and it cocks the weapon, and you pull it back, and then you can pull the trigger, it goes off, and then you have to pull that lever again. It's not that hard to manipulate, But there is something interesting about this particular rifle, which is it has a lever safety. There's different names for it, uh, but you have to depress that lever very firmly to disengage the safety in order for this weapon to
0: discharge or fire. For Taylor's autopsy, they noticed stippling on his face as well as soot. And what that told them was, that the rifle was fairly close to his face, but it was not in contact with his face when it was fired. It was a close range shot. So the, the question becomes, and this is something that different experts will argue, is how far away from his face was the rifle? Because we're talking about what they call a long rifle, and it's not like a handgun. You can't just put it up to your head and pull the trigger. Because it's so long, you have to be able to reach down to the trigger somehow and aim it towards your head. And Taylor was shot in the face. The idea
1: is if this was a murder-suicide, he would have killed his mom, gone back to his room, sat down, put the gun kind of, you know, propped it up on the ground, put his face over the muzzle, and then reached down and pulled the trigger. Boom. Now you have the length of the rifle barrel and the, the trigger. Typically I would say, yeah, you could do that. You could totally shoot yourself uh, with this rifle and you could reach the trigger, but this rifle has that tricky safety where you have to depress the lever in order to pull the trigger. And can you do that when you're reaching down I mean, when you're shooting it in a regular firing position, ergonomically, that just makes sense. You squeeze on it, you pull the trigger. But leaning over the weapon and doing all this pretty much upside down, it's possible, but it would be very inconvenient. And I watched a dozen YouTube videos about how to disable the safety on this weapon, because even... Most shooters or hunters hate it so much because they they said that they just weren't even strong enough to do it from a firing position. Like if a a boar or a pig ran out in front of them and they had to do a quick shot, they couldn't do it. So they all disabled the safety on this gun because it was such an annoyance.
0: and some shooters, they just don't, they like light triggers. Yeah. I mean, they want to be able to pull that trigger as fast as possible and anything that slows them down. Yeah. They don't want that. Now, I'm not saying
1: it's impossible. I'm just saying that it would be a hard maneuver to pull off. If you're dead set on shooting yourself in the face, I'm sure you could use your leg, your, your shoe, maybe something to depress that lever, or give you some leverage on it, and then pull the trigger. The police also noted the smell of gunpowder in
0: Nicole's room. That's quite a contrast to what they found when they went to Taylor's room because they didn't detect it at all there.
1: Again, if you're going with murder-suicide, she would have been the first to have been shot, and then Taylor would have gone downstairs and shot himself. You would expect her body to be cold, and you would expect the smell of gunpowder to have dissipated, whereas with Taylor and his room, you would expect him to be warmer and the smell of gunpowder. Or no smell at all in either of the rooms. But again, we have this different climate and atmosphere in between the garage and a bedroom. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, Simply Safe. Did you know that according to FBI property crime data, most home break ins happen in broad daylight? As the day goes longer this spring, protect your home with Simply Safe. It's the award-winning home security system I use and recommend. Both experts and customers love Simply Safe for its comprehensive protection. It was just named Best Home Security System of 2024 by U.S. News & World Report. Its advanced technology protects every home window and door, while cameras keep watch for suspicious activities 24-7. There's no long-term contract. You'll get the emergency response you need at half the cost of traditional home security at less than a dollar a day. You install the system your way. It's easy to do it yourself. I did mine. It was about 20, 25 minutes from start to finish. But if you're not comfortable with that, you can have the professionals do it. Protect your home today. Generation Y listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for fast protect monitoring, just visit simplysafe.com Gen Y. That's simplysafe.com Gen Y. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Take a moment to get a word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Daylight savings is starting up for most states. The goal? To give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there's more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, and that's ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ziprecruiter.com slash geny. So here's how it works. You put your job out on ZipRecruiter. They send it out to over 100 plus job sites. So you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes and its algorithm to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post to ZipRecruiter get qualified candidates within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free, ziprecruiter.com GenY. Once again, that's ziprecruiter.com GenY. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: So it was about 10 months after these two deaths when the police made their move. They arrested Jason Payne on two counts of murder, his wife Nicole Payne and his stepson 16-year-old Austin Taylor Wages.
1: So they decided they had enough evidence for a double homicide. So we're going to go to trial, right?
0: Right, and there wasn't a, a there was a probable cause affidavit that was issued this affidavit basically talks about the forensics, as well as the interview that Jason Payne did, the suspicious two large holes that were on the property. Again, it looks bad. I've yet to see any kind of explanation for why they were there. We, we should go on to say, and, and this is something I think that comes up during the trial, but there were witnesses that testified to seeing those two holes within a week or two of the murders.
1: So, is that early enough that
0: they were there for another reason,
1: something maybe he was planting trees, or is that soon enough where he was preparing two graves for this murder? We don't know.
0: At least from the outset, I think a lot of people looked at him and said, Why would her son shoot her? You know, in other words, why would Taylor shoot Nicole? What was it about Jason Payne? That people were suspicious of him. The whole
1: idea of murder-suicide, you have to take Taylor as the shooter, and the only motive they could find for the son would be he was upset about a cell phone or upset about not getting his way about something. That's, I mean, we know teenagers are impulsive. Teenagers can be uh, reckless. But what do we have as far as motive for Jason? Because a cell phone, okay, I can get it, whatever.
0: But what do we have on the other side of the fence? So at the trial, and this is something that's very controversial, Sarah Hawthorne, Nicole's sister-in-law, gave testimony about things that Nicola told her. One of the things that she told her was that Jason had threatened to burn her alive in the house. Nicola also begged Sarah to avenge her if anything ever happened to her. She even said that the very night before Nicole died, Payne had threatened to kill her again.
1: Now, this is disputed because they're trying to insinuate that she's not a fan of Jason Payne or she's just trying to help with this murder investigation. So she's lying and making all this up. But there was no real problems between Jason and Nicole and just
0: taking one side. I can see that. But the defense, I think, was mostly upset because, well, Nicole's not there to question about these statements. So, in other words, is this hearsay? That's their argument is, Nicole said,
1: Jason said this. Technically, that's hearsay. but. Nicole, who is possibly the victim, is telling her friend, this is what's going on. So she is a witness. She is one degree from there. I understand what hearsay is. It's somebody else telling you what somebody else said, but that's interwoven with her seeing how Nicole is behaving, her observing Nicole's behavior, and Nicole saying, my life is being threatened. That's not hearsay. That's directly from Nicole. But again, we have nothing to back this
0: up because Nicole's dead. They did have a lot of forensic evidence that they were using. This is really a circumstantial case, but they had the bloody washcloth. They had the suspicious holes. They had uh, the timeline, which, you know, when you look over the timeline, the only people that Jason would have had to deal with if he was responsible for these deaths were his two-year-old daughter and then his stepson and his wife. By his own account, uh, the two-year-old was outside a lot. It sort of fits, right? And then you also have, he's completely clean. And he's saying that there were no marital problems, no financial issues. But then you find out that within like eight months, they had burned through almost every bit of that settlement money. And they didn't really have any money coming in. The only money they had coming in was from
1: her Dove business, which I'm sure it pays well, but how often do people get married? How often do people need that or want that niche sort of thing? Meanwhile, they had close to 400,000, like 350, 400,000 dollars, and they blew through it in less than a year. Wow. One of their bank accounts was overdrawn. Another one had, I think, like $6,000 in it. I I don't know. I mean, obviously, they probably bought a house and a boat outright in cash. But man, they went right through that money without planning anything. So the argument is his motivation would have been they don't have any money. Things are spiraling and... I can kill her and collect the life insurance, or I can kill her and just not have to deal with this situation any longer. But the flip side to that argument is, well, they had money. They had $6,000 in, in their one of their bank accounts, and they weren't fighting. So what are what's his motivation here? I'm probably not doing justice for either side of that argument because there's so much more to unpack. But in a nutshell, it's hard to, I guess, weigh that one out. I just look at somebody spending that type of money that quickly is reckless. And anytime you hear about somebody that wins the lottery or a uh, a college athlete getting an NFL contract, whatever it is, whatever kind of windfall of money someone receives, it causes stress. You think I get all this money, all my problems are going to be solved, my life will be good. No. There's a whole other set of problems that comes along with that. And you mentioned that he bought a boat. Was Nicole on board with buying this boat? Hmm. Don't know.
0: <laughs> well, and that's part of it too, was he went to sell the boat and ended up selling it about $5,000 cheaper than he would have wanted to because he needed to get rid of it quick. It really seemed to be the case that he needed the money.
1: The, the old saying is the, uh, the two happiest days are the day you buy the boat and the day you, you sell the boat because they cost a lot of money to dock, maintenance. And uh, I remember I went out with a, a friend. Uh, I offered to pay for the gas. And he's like, are you sure you want to do that? And I, I just said, hey, man, you're taking us out. We're having a good time. Just to fill the gas tank, over
0: $500. <laughs> and that was just to piddle around for a weekend. <laughs> was not cheap. So really, the trial comes down to, there are a lot of important things here. There's the washcloth, there's a timeline, there's motive, uh, there's the gunshot residue test. But really what this came down to, I believe, was the firearms experts. And there's a disagreement between the prosecution's expert and the defense's expert. The prosecution is saying that this gun was fired from about 12 inches, give or take two. And the defense is saying, no. This was about four inches. Now, the prosecution did have an expert who had tested the same rifle, you know, a 3030, same type, same model, everything, and shot it from different distances to see the soot and the stippling marks from the rifle. And that's where they got their numbers. Now, the defense didn't quite do it the same way. They more or less focused on which position. Taylor would need to be in to fire this weapon. Now, you already said it had a safety on it. The prosecution said in order to fire that gun, he would have had to have used both of his feet, probably. He'd have to push down on the, the safety and then fire the weapon with his feet. And there was no indication from Taylor's socks that he had used his feet in such a manner. Now, the defense says, look, when, he falls, when his feet fall away, it's not like the socks record the event. My opinion would be a little different than that, probably, but there was nothing seen on his feet. Then they said it's possible he used his hands, but again, he doesn't have gunshot residue on his hands. He has one speck. He had blood on his hand, and that became another point of contention. But really, they had this debate over the rifle. And whether this was a suicide after a murder or a double homicide.
1: I actually think that both the prosecution and defense have valid points here. If you take in context that he was killed where his body was found, it would be really hard for him to shoot himself with this rifle. Not impossible, but implausible. Meanwhile. For someone else to shoot him in the same angle, the same trajectory, would be next to impossible also, or just unlikely, but not impossible. So the prosecution opens it up to, well, he might not have been murdered there. This whole scene could have been staged. And the defense is saying, well, if you say he wasn't murdered there, then where was he murdered? There's no other blood found in the house. You have this conflict, and I get both of their arguments. I actually can agree with both of their arguments. You can test this gunshot over and over again and get pretty close to how far away this barrel was from his face. Even if it was 12 inches, I still think he could have done it, but doesn't mean he did.
0: Well, let me say that at 12 inches, it'd be pretty tough because we're talking about a foot length he would have to be able to depress the trigger and the safety and keep his face over the rifle. It's a long rifle. I guess that's kind of an issue there. Don't you think? Yeah, I I absolutely do. The prosecutions expert said the way to explain why the bullet went through the lip and out the back of Taylor's head was if someone points a rifle at you, you will put, you will pull away. And so If he was shot as he was backing away, falling away, then it could have went through that trajectory. It is odd, but it does explain it. And the other issue they have, at least the defense has, is if
1: Jason Payne did this, he would have had to have shot Taylor, the son, first. I mean, obviously his body's cold and he's more of a threat. This is a pretty loud rifle. But how do you sleep through a gunshot like that? So Nicole slept through this, and then he went upstairs and shot Nicole. And again, this is where the prosecution's saying, well, maybe he wasn't killed there. It's a question.
0: But essentially, this case is decided with the jury having to take in both sides and information, make a determination here. What did they find, Justin? Well, they found him guilty. And uh, sentenced him to
1: life. This is Texas. I'm surprised he didn't get the death penalty, but,
0: you know. They didn't seek it. And, you know, I don't know. You could get a lot of true crime aficionados to talk about this. They would say, if you don't seek the death penalty, it makes everything smoother. This is what they decided to go with was life in prison as the punishment. But a court of appeals said that there was a problem with this trial and it had to do with Sarah Hawthorne. They said that her testimony was so harmful that Jason Payne deserved a new trial. And I understand legally that argument of hearsay. I find it interesting that this caused a retrial and um, in the second trial, The prosecution brings out more witnesses to talk about Jason Thad Payne's demeanor, attitude, and behavior. This is interesting because if you felt that the original witness
1: was lying, was being, uh, was just there to help the prosecutor get a conviction, uh, was exaggerating the abusive nature of Jason Payne, just pretty much just being untruthful in general. Well, you can throw her testimony out, but are you willing
0: to throw out the next how many witnesses come in, Aaron? <laughs> well, family friends. One of the primary witnesses was another friend of Nicole's named Andrea Scott. She was around when Nicole got with Payne originally and saw the kids grow up. She gave different accounts. Like one time she said Jason was holding his daughter and he told his daughter to tell her mom that she hated her and then to hit her. To which, you know, according to Andrea Scott, the little girl did do that. She did just what her father told her to do. She said that pain had a strict curfew for his kids. Depending on where you read it, it is either eight or nine o'clock and they're not to leave the rooms after that time. And there was a time where Taylor got out of his bedroom and went to the bathroom Jason jumped up, grabbed him, and pushed him up against the wall and put his hands around his throat and then pushed his face into his and said, you can't go to the bathroom, go back to your room.
1: So a very controlling household.
0: Yeah. And that's where more friends and family came out and said, when Nicole was on the phone, she would have to whisper. She would have to sneak off to the bathroom or go into a closet. She said that Jason was incredibly controlling, didn't want her talking to anyone, it seemed like it was not a secret. Nicole had even talked about divorce. So
1: this is just reinforcing his abusive behavior from multiple different witnesses. The defense, they can say, none of these people are credible. All of these people are friends or family members. So of course they're going to say these things. But a lot of their testimony gels. And I don't feel like... They got together and said, oh yeah, let's talk about her whispering and calling from closets. Their testimony is pretty powerful. Along with that, we didn't really talk about the white washcloth with the blood on it. And I wanted to bring that up real quick. The defense is saying that that washcloth with the blood was old and the blood on it was dried, was brown. And so it wasn't fresh, and it was from a wound that Nicole had received prior to this event. Uh, What was it? A a fishing hook, a fishing lure
0: got caught in her face, essentially? It, It got caught in her neck. They claimed that this washcloth could have been used to stem the bleeding. The problem with that, though, is none of the people who looked at this, other than the defense says that it looked old. They said this was fresh blood. And, you know, take blood, set it out for two months, and let's see what it looks like. I saw a picture of it. It looked fresh to me,
1: (laughs) and I wasn't even there. I just saw a photo of this washcloth. It was bright red. And I understand that it's a photo, so it could be misinterpreted. You could use filters on it and brighten things
0: up, but this was a crime scene photo. I don't think they're manipulating that. So for trial two, they're bringing up all the forensic evidence. So is the defense. They're bringing in witnesses who can testify to people's behavior. It seemed as though the only real witness that the defense brought in to testify about Payne's behavior, the way he lived, um, how he treated his family was Danny Ashworth. He is squarely in the corner of Jason Payne and said that there was nothing odd about the family. He said, sure, we went to bed on school nights, but he said there was no such thing as a curfew. And he said he never saw a disagreement between Nicole and Payne, which I find interesting. I mean, it's if you think that Nicole's family
1: is coming in and lying and saying these things to be on her side, well, is it that far of a stretch that anyone on Jason's side would come in and say
0: this is a good person? I mean, it's the same logic, correct? Yeah, it's just that the prosecution has many more witnesses. You know, they have Andrea Scott, they have Jennifer Rogers Morton, they have Michelle Beecham, they have these different people coming in, including Nicole's mother, who are all talking about the way Nicole was on the phone and how they hadn't really seen her in a while because according to Nicole you know she wasn't allowed to go anywhere she wasn't allowed to really talk to people so we know what kind of behavior this is we covered it when we covered the Powell case Josh Powell yeah uh, was very controlling this isn't something that's unheard of but it definitely gives him a motive and so once again the jury is taking in all this information with the trajectory of the bullet and the rifle and whether it could have been fired by someone uh, to kill themselves and who had a motive. They also had something very interesting that was submitted into trial, which is a phone conversation between Jason Payne and his mother.
1: Now, this first conversation, and he refers to something that's in the nightstand, and he says are those two things still there? And uh, she said, can you tell me? Um, And Payne said, is there two of the same thing in there? And he indicated that he wanted her to locate something that was made out of hard plastic. And she says, yes. And essentially he says, I want you to destroy those. (laughs) I mean, Interesting. So she responded to him and she said that she would make certain to do what he wanted. They're talking in code
0: right now. (laughs) Yeah, they're talking in code. So because he knows this is going to be eavesdropped on, but it's very shady. And you can only imagine what the jury thinks hearing this. So now that she knows kind of what she's looking for, she said, did they belong to Taylor? And he said, no. And she goes, I've got the video of y'all in Akadoches, you and Nicole. This is the good one. I've got one that's bad. I got it in there, Jason told her. There should be two of those in there. So there's this long conversation because she, because they're talking in code and she's not real good at that apparently, or maybe he's just not good at cluing her in. They have this long, drawn out conversation essentially about these tapes that are in there and two of them. He needs them destroyed. So in the end, she apparently pulls them out and he says, yeah, I want you to pull all the insides out, throw them on some leaves or something and burn it and do it as soon as we hang up.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny as if he would have just said, hey, mom, can you go in there and throw away all the VHS tapes or throw away all the tapes? Probably wouldn't have sounded that uh, nefarious. Probably wouldn't have sounded that, uh, you know, suspicious. But instead people trying to make some sort of drug deal on the phone. They're like, do you have the green oregano herb in the bag for me? And they're (laughs) like, no, I have the black dog runs at night. (laughs) You know, it's just like, there's obviously something going on in this conversation. And there's obviously something that does not make him look
0: very good. Was there a way for him to do this without alerting authorities? I don't know. But man, I think what you're trying to say, and I agree with, is he did it the exact opposite way of the way he should have done it. This was literally him waving his arms and saying, hey, everybody, I'm doing something. Something wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't. I really just don't understand. Now, of course, the defense, they didn't like that this was entered into the trial. Today's episode is sponsored by
1: BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had a lot more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, what would you use it for? Sometimes the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority, and therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. And that's where BetterHelp comes in. Therapies helped me reflect on choices I've made in my life and helps me make better ones in the future. If you've been thinking about starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time with no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/geny today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P.com/geny.
0: There was a lot of other testimony from different people. The family physician testified that Nicole was taking Cymbalta for depression. And started that in March of 2007. That's the year she was murdered. There was also testimony from Todd Wages. That was Nicole's first husband, Taylor's dad. He said that Nicole had halted his visitations um, at times or just really limited them. Then eventually told him, hey, you know, maybe Taylor just needs to live with you, but that's they would be two hours apart, so... He did ask Taylor, he said, I think we're gonna need to move you. I'll just run back to Nicole's. He said he needed to be with his mom. You know, I that doesn't surprise me. You know, it sucks for the dad, but just to think that he almost was moved and wouldn't have even been in the house at that time, if you believe that he was murdered, of course.
1: Yeah. The defense will say, Well, there's all this turmoil between visitation, uh, this new father in his life and not being able to get a cell phone. This is what set this kid off.
0: There was also a lot said about Nicole's laptop when they found what they determined to be flirty emails with an ex-boyfriend named Dimitri Nobles. Well, you know what they could determine from that, which was Nicole's not happy. And now she's reaching out to an ex-boyfriend she still kind of liked and was talking about her issues with him. So it showed that there was definitely a problem with the marriage, unlike Jason, uh, who had said that there were no issues in the marriage. And
1: just imagine if Jason was that controlling and then came across some of these emails or uh, correspondences with another man, how do you think he's going to
0: respond to that? Well, and when they looked at the emails, apparently Nicole... And Jason shared the email account that she was using to send these emails. And when she got her replies, she would delete them. But see, Justin, as you know, and probably most people by now, when you delete an email, it goes in your trash for at least, well, I'd say about 30 days, because just in case you want to get it back. But why is she sharing an email account? We might have listeners who say, oh, well, I share an email account with my husband But maybe they share one because Jason's controlling? Maybe. So it's possible that this was another motive that set him off. They had other witness testimony from people that knew Taylor, and the comments about him ranged from very mature for his age, very polite, very courteous, a positive person. A friend of his who attended school with him even said that Taylor was talking about college. So nothing really stands out that that Taylor was
1: unhinged, angry, or had any
0: kind of uh, motive to do a murder-suicide. Jason is convicted. And, of course, he has problems with these convictions. You know, of course, he says, oh, they're using hearsay. They didn't use the evidence properly. Uh, The jury ran on their emotions, you name it, which from my understanding, the jury took exception to his comments um, because they really had to weigh the evidence out. You know, the courts, they were not sympathetic to Jason Payne because the way they looked at it, you're the one on the phone with your mom saying these things. You're the one uh, whose defense team is trying to say your stepson committed murder and then took his own life. But we don't have a motive for that. I mean, you're saying that there were some arguments going on, but we have a whole line of people over here, you know, friends and family, classmates, um, all kinds of people who are speaking about Taylor, speaking about Nicole, and it doesn't fit. And really, I think in the end, this really came down to the characters, the character of Austin Taylor Wages or the character of Jason Thad Payne. And I believe that the authorities and the jury all believe that Taylor had better character. So when it came down to it, could Taylor do this? Could Jason do this? Would Taylor do this? Would Jason do this? They settled on Jason would do this, and he did do this.
1: Yeah, and let's add in the evidence here. His clothing was found in the dryer (laughs) the morning of. Even his jacket I might wash my jacket twice a year because a jacket is just not something that you decide to wash on a daily basis. So really bad timing to do laundry that morning. And he never specified that he was doing laundry that morning. And let's go over his statements that morning. He was dropping off kids at school with his two-year-old daughter, and then they decided to go skip rocks and a pond. Or acorns. (laughs) Or acorns, whatever, on a cold December morning. Really? And it just happens to happen at the same time as your stepson committing a a murder-suicide. Then you're found with a bloody rag, or washcloth, in your truck. Also, the rifle used in the murder, it just happens to belong to Taylor, the stepson. So. That we would conclude that, well, that's the, the rifle he knew how to use, so why wouldn't he use it during this, this murder-suicide? But it's so inconvenient to fire that thing. There are other weapons in the house. I don't care if you're familiar with this one rifle. You can pick up a handgun and go to town with it. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out another weapon, especially if you're proficient in one kind of translates
0: to others it's not hard to put a gun to your head
1: no it's not
0: there's no no special position you have to be in with this rifle the length of it and where he would have to reach down to depress that safety and the trigger i'm just i guess i'm speaking out to people who are supporters of jason Payne at this point i don't know how many there are but when you lay out all the evidence and we usually use check boxes. You're asking us to believe that this kid, who had no prior indication of any major problems like this that would cause him to shoot somebody, and even his own, uh, we'll call him his brother, but Danny Ashworth said, I've seen him shoot that rifle before. It doesn't sound like someone who's shot it a lot. And all of a sudden, he's going to use it to kill his mother and then himself in such a way that experts are having trouble agreeing on what exactly happened. And on the other hand, we have a parade of individuals who are testifying that Nicole was afraid of Jason, that he was controlling, that he threatened her life on multiple occasions, and she was planning to divorce him, and she was flirting with an ex-boyfriend. Would you throw in the washcloth at this point, and then a jacket or a coat? The defense was trying to say, you know, that's not going to get rid of blood necessarily. Well, guess what? In this case, it's not about the blood. He's using a rifle. My guess is he's getting rid of GSR, gunshot residue. He's just getting rid of any evidence that he can and even
1: calling his own mother to get rid of evidence even after his incarceration that might be used against him. It looks really bad. I read everything on his Innocence website, the website that supports him. And I found some issues there. I, f- I, I read through it and thought, yeah, you know, the the way the rifle was held is it would be impossible for someone else to murder Taylor if he's sitting there, you know, on the edge of his bed or wherever he was in his bedroom in that angle, that trajectory. But if you remove him from that room, that angle is n- not really hard to uh To come up with, if he would have asked Taylor to go shooting with him out in the woods and then pulled the trigger on Taylor and Taylor flinched. And that's why it's the entrance wound is kind of on his cheek instead of his mouth. And we have gunshot residue on his hands because maybe he put his hands up. That's believable. And guess what? All the blood spatter, back spatter, all that, that happens out in the woods somewhere. And that would explain why there wasn't a lot of blood in his room that would explain how he would have been shot that way. And that would explain how Nicole didn't hear the gunshot. It didn't happen in the house.
0: But the the idea was if he did get him outside, meaning Taylor, with the idea of let's go shoot, then his wife, Nicole, would have expected to hear a gunshot. Yeah. That was the whole idea. If he lured him outside, and she's not any of the wiser because she's already heard a gunshot or two or three or whatever. And now she's not expecting anything. So she has her her back to him, essentially. I understand that uh,
1: the innocence groups feel that the uh, crime scene photos showed the rifle was in different positions during each photo, meaning the crime scene was tampered with, manipulated, or tainted. Yeah. You know, we we know that a lot of crime scenes do get trampled and and tainted, but at the end of the day, all we have is the evidence found on him. So I don't care where the rifle was at this point. (laughs) Uh, He's been shot with said rifle. How far away could he be shot with that rifle? At what angle? I don't care if one of the cops kicked the rifle over during the investigation. It no longer matters because we know it was either four inches away or 12 inches away, but it wasn't pressed up against him. And if you're going to kill yourself, especially with this lever action with the really crappy safety on it, I would just assume that you would want that pressed up against you so you could get more leverage to depress the lever so you could pull that trigger. Uh, You know, they say that Jason Payne was railroaded, even if... Jason did not commit this murder and was wrongfully convicted, I'm going to go on the record and say he was not railroaded. They found him guilty, fair and square, based on the evidence, based on testimony. Just because you're wrongly convicted doesn't mean you were railroaded. They did a good job here. And I don't believe that he was wrongly convicted because any other explanation in this case is pretty far-fetched to me.
0: Yeah, when the appeals court was trying to decide whether he had a case to get it overturned, they actually used the word inference a lot. They talked about how they depended upon the jury because the jury was weighing the evidence out. You know, to imagine that somehow Taylor was behind this when there's no real evidence of that at all. And then you have a lot of testimony going against Jason Payne and the way he behaved and how controlling he was. That looks really bad. So he's found guilty. But that's not really where the story ends because his mother, Jason Payne's mother, who we talked about earlier, her name is Jewel Payne. She went for a car ride with her niece. This was before the trial. She had talked to her about how she would like her niece to find a man to go to a lady and scare her. Now, the lady she's talking about is an EMT that arrived on the scene after the 911 call. Jewel Payne was asking her niece to get someone who could threaten this woman and retract her statement because she was making statements that were not good for Jason. In other words, witness testimony from the crime scene. She said, look into her background and see if she has a child or someone you could threaten or harm. Wow. And her niece recorded this and even told Jewel, she said, this sounds like a crime. And Jason's mother responded, I know. If your son is innocent, or if the person
1: you're advocating for is innocent, you need not resort to criminal actions to prove it. You need not resort to witness intimidation or violence. Truth will out, right? (laughs) You need to focus on evidence. You need to focus on legal representation and not threatening other people.
0: But here she was taking a second action. For Jason. The first time was destroying these tapes. And then the second one was trying to get someone to threaten a witness. I don't know about you, but I mean, it seems like the deeper you look into this case, the worse it gets for Jason Payne. I think I would encourage everyone who's interested in this case that has more questions to keep reading on it, because I know that one of the things that I found, his daughter, who he was spending that morning with, her name's Remington, Well, she went to a therapist, and she just happened to tell the therapist that daddy killed her mommy and brother. People that support Jason will say,
1: well, that was the whole argument going on. That's what he's going to trial for. That's why daddy went away is because he was accused of this. So she was just repeating what she
0: heard. Well, according to the therapist, the child said she saw her daddy shoot her mommy and brother. And that changes everything. It's very unsettling when I think about it. People put on a face for others, and it could be that most of the people that Jason knew, he was this great guy. But I don't know. There are a lot of people out there that didn't care for Jason Payne, and they let the jury know about it. One last note, Nicole's business, Wings of Love, where she released dubs at funerals, at weddings... These same doves, her precious doves, were released at the funerals for herself and for her son. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Generation Y podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on
1: Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage.